This show is sponsored by CoventryCreations.com. You're listening to Keep It Magic Radio. 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 Are you ready to make some magic? Jackie and Storm are putting the pieces together for you. Find out what planets are changing the game and how to harness that energy. Get the latest metaphysical perspective on hot topics. Learn how to make magic work for you. Nothing is too hot or personal for Jackie and Storm to handle. Visit our website weekly for articles, updates, and the latest information to transform your life at www.keepitmagic.com. Now here is Jackie Smith and Storm Sestivani. Welcome to Keep It Magic Radio, if you hadn't figured that out by our great intro there. I'm Jackie Smith, and I'm here with the smartest man in the universe, my co-host, Storm Sestivani. And I don't say that lightly, because this guy knows a lot about astrology, about tarot, about psychology, about life in general, and he puts together stuff in an amazing way. He's also my favorite uh, conjure Kabbalist. So Storm Sestivani is here, and I'm Jackie Smith, and uh, I know a little bit about magic a day or two of the week. Um, <laughs> and we are welcome to Keep It Magic, and we're doing a show today on uh, Passover magic. And um, I'm here with Storm, and he's going to talk to us about... How, what that even means? I don't even know what that means. Um, I didn't for a long time either. I think that the largest difficulty in regards to Passover is that it's an epic story. And when you think about, it always comes around this time of the year, you know, usually between Passover and Easter, the Ten Commandments will be on with Charleston Heston. And, <laughs> Um, you know, you think we all that, pop our popcorn for that one. Yeah, we've all seen it. It's four hours long. Drinking, we play um, some drinking games. Yeah, you play drinking drinking games, <laughs> or you know, whenever a burning bush speaks. Um, and you know, it's an epic story. And you know, like any good epic story, oftentimes we can get very caught up in the story and not necessarily the symbolism underneath the story, which, in regards to Passover, is that. Um, you know, in many ways, Jackie, it reminds me, you know, if you think about big, huge stories, The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Star Wars. Um, Epic uh, the Hunger tale, Games. Tale, tale. The Hunger Games, yeah. um, which is my latest obsession. Um, <laughs> oh, are, uh, are you just reading that now? or? What? I, well, I watched the movie, and then um, both of them, mm-hmm. and it didn't dawn on me until the middle of the second movie, that what we were actually dealing with was the Uranus square Pluto that we've been dealing with since 2012. Interestingly enough, the movies are coming in this cycle. Um, uh, you, know, in, you know, where you have this female warrior goddess, Katniss, um, uh, and, you know, Uranus and Aries, um, uh, and this system, Pluto and Capricorn, that is, uh, uh, you know, trying to control everything and trying to keep everything in its structured sort of way, fears change, um, fears anything that is going to shake up and rattle the system. And I think that whenever we get these huge, gigantic, epic movies, you can tend to focus on the entertainment value of them and miss all of the messages. Yes. Well, it, um, it, the whole um, apocalyptic stuff is back in cycle now. Um, and I, I have my own theory on why that is, and I think it's because we got through, um, we got, we're, we're getting through some world crisis, yeah. crises um, that started in 2001. Yeah. So um, we're, coming, we're starting to come out of that. So there's a whole generation, literally, that's starting to come out of that. That grew up with that as a reality. And so um, that's why we, we have the apocalyptic movies, because we're rebuilding from it. But but we're getting off we're getting off message. No, actually, we're getting right onto message. Where are we getting Believe right onto message? This is a great segue, so all right. Um, it's, it's, it's a great segue, because of the fact that the story itself, what you have at the end of the book of Genesis is you have the story of Joseph, of course, going into Egypt. Um, and Egypt, just to define some stuff, um, Egypt is a code. You go down to Egypt um, means that the spiritual level is lower than it is in Israel. Um, and it is a code, don't worry about the words and don't worry about the politics. 
Um, <laughs> oh, it's the pollen that just shut away. me up a little bit, didn't it? I was about to go there, but keep going. Yeah, don't worry about the politics. Think about the literal symbol. Um, because the literal symbol is that the Israelites went down into Egypt, and that Egypt is a code word for ego, um, or to put it in a better term, the negative ego. And the negative ego is basically where all of our fears spawn from. Um, it is where all of our anxieties spawn from. Uh, it is where our phobias spawn from. Um, uh, and I have plenty of these, by the way, so don't don't think I'm perfect in this in this matter. I'm working my issues just like everybody else. Um, uh, but uh, you know, it is where all of the darker elements of um, ourselves reside in Egypt, and then you have Pharaoh, which is another word. Um, Pharaoh also is uh, a term that reflects in many ways the ego. He's more the physical embodiment of it. Um, uh, you know, every good story also has a person that it has to attach it to. So Pharaoh okay, gets that, that attachment. And if you think about what it is that he's doing, again, stay away from the religion, stay away from the politics, look only at the symbol. Um, you know, what it is that he's doing is that he is afraid, because it says at the beginning of Exodus that he was afraid of the multitude of the Israelites that were, you know, coupling and having kids and all this other stuff in Egypt, and he was worried that they were going to take control. So what he does, in effect, he doesn't know Joseph or his descendants, is what it says in the first part of Exodus. Great story. Anybody that wants the best sex stories, murders, um, apocalypses. <laughs> uh, uh, this way it made such a good movie. Yeah, exactly. You know, go read the Bible. Best stories ever. Um, uh, but basically, you know, what he was doing, Jackie, is that he was controlling everything from the elements of his negative ego. And, you know, this is, this is where magically, you know, I would just throw it out there. We're probably going to get some letters. <laughs> but I'm going to throw it out there. Um, and if you want to send letters, you can find Storm <laughs> at stormfestivani.com. And you can find Jackie at coventrycreations.com. And, um, yeah, okay, keep going. My issue in regards to this, Jackie, and it's actually a question that I have for you, is do you find the same elements when people are doing, and I'm not even going to use a term. I'm just going to call it negative-based magic, Okay. Um, uh, meaning that the individual is using particular magic to either hold on to something or because they're afraid of something or because they have a particular anxiety about something or a phobia about something. Do you find often, Jackie, that what happens is that it does create this little word that I will define in a minute called slavery? Um, yes, and um, I was just going to say I think we play this story out um, in our lives over and over again. I think we have our our um, negative ego and our addiction and um, all of those things that and our slaveries that we have, and we play this out over and over again. We have to have that antagonist in our life. Sometimes mm-hmm. um, when we're out of balance, when when the negative ego is in charge, I think spirit sends us that antagonist to help get us out, get us out of our own way, but unfortunately, then that antagonist uh, becomes the enemy rather than a tool to um, to a, a, a stepping stone to enlightenment. And yeah, because if, if if you think about it, you know the relationship that Joseph had with the Pharaoh in Genesis uh-huh. is actually a beneficial helping type of um, uh, of relationship. That's one side of. Um, the particular ego, which is more connected in astrology to the sun, which allows somebody to basically understand things like destiny, um, one's fate, um, one's ability to get up and be an individual, um, you know, all of the little things that I think that secretly we all aspire to. Well, I um, think that, that one pharaoh. I think what you talked about right there was the positive ego. Yeah. Because, and, and I want to clarify this a little bit more, um, so often people just say ego, like mm-hmm. it's a negative thing. And it, it, it's a negative thing if, you, if it has too much power in your life or too little power in your life. It was a negative thing in my life uh, for a long time because I denied an ego. I was in service to everything, and I didn't have an identity. Sing it, sister. 
My identity was based on the identity that was given to me by others. Mm-hmm. And that, oh, that's just not a good plan for anybody. i got to tell you, you get a little lost in the weeds on that one. Forty years in the wilderness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so when I finally embraced my ego and I learned, um, it was literally when I started studying about the ego and I was like, oh, this is good stuff. So I, um, it, so it, it, it was a challenge to, to counter that because I always saw the negative ego was the only ego. Yeah, and the reason being, I think that people tend have the tendency to go there, Jackie, is because of one word, which is egotistical. Um, you know, they think you know somebody that is egotistical is full of themselves, boasting. You know, um, up in the clouds, thinks they're better than everybody else. Uh, all of this particular stuff, and I think that it's difficult for people to separate sometimes the two different the two different versions of the ego. You have to have an ego because the ego gives you desire, and you have to have desire. Yes, because that's what helps you. Actually, desire, I think, desire and passion is actually what helps you really connect with the divine and evolve. And get what you want. And get what you want. Yeah. Well, yes, but, you know, sometimes people say that, you know, the the argument of late with the hipsters has been um, a lack of ego. I mean, there's two types of hipsters. There's the hippies, hipsters, um, and then there's the capitalistic hipsters. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's everyone is against the big corporate greed. Mm-hmm. And so they think the ego equals big corporate greed. They they think that going for something that you want equals big corporate greed. And and it doesn't. I mean there's 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 a middle ground and so my argument of late has been um what does the divine want for you? Mm-hmm. And um and really the divine you know my argument is the divine wants for you to be happy. Whatever that is. It doesn't have to happy does, happiness does not equate to money. Happiness equates to connection with the divine. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And so money doesn't have to be the um, the definition of happiness, but nor is it the antithesis, the, the opposite of happiness. So, I mean, I, when you have a business and, and you – I mean, my life is so focused on money, I'm, like, sick of it. But mm-hmm. – um, no, I'm not sick of it. I'm I'm I don't want that huge identity, but if you replace that word money with achieving goals – there are certain goals that I want to achieve, and um, and when I sit back and and think about them, moving them from the negative ego to the positive ego. So back to this negative ego. So if I was, you know, I have goals I want to achieve, but do those? But am I addicted to those goals? Do those goals own me? I think that the answer is yes and no. Um, I think it depends upon. Um, what perspective that you're taking, if you're taking it in a way. Because here is the thing in regards to the word slave, okay? Other than it being on Prince's cheek while he was singing? Yeah. Um, (laughs) Slavery is when we become controlled by our negative fears and our negative loves. Um, that's basically what happens. You know, we, we end up becoming a slave, you know. And you can become a slave to money. You can become a slave to your business. You can become a slave to your relationship. You can become a slave to food. You can become a, a slave to doubt. You can, you become, can become a slave, a slave to, to anything, pretty much. You can become a slave to the absence of food. Absolutely. You can become a slave to pretty much anything out there, okay? Right. It's when you create a particular attachment to it. And, you know, we've had this conversation. Conversations before. When you create an attachment to something in a negative way, it creates a space. And what is filled by that space is a word that's called a clippa or a negative shell. And basically, that's all that's able to go up in that negative shell is negativity. Um, and that basically ultimately causes problems in an individual becoming oppressed. Because I will tell you, self oppression is much worse than actual oppression. Um, because you uh, can't get away from yeah. it. And if you can't get away from yourself, I mean, that's just. That's one thing you're never going to get away from you. You know, it reminds me of, this is a, a, a funny story, but probably not to you, um, to other people who have had a kid. So other parents warned me when my daughter was little, don't let your kid suck their, fu- suck their thumb. Give them a pacifier. And, and people are gasping right now, and I can hear it. Sucking anything, that oral fixation, is, should be discouraged, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is that's what their job is. You know, that's what soothes them. And so they said, give her a pacifier 
rather than her thumb because the pacifier you can wean her off of, but the thumb is always there. And then what you said just reminded me of that. Yeah. When you when you become a slave to your own stuff, when, you're, when you oppress yourself, um, that becomes, uh, you, you can't get away from you. But when somebody else oppresses you, you can get away from that. But with the caveat, whenever I work with clients who um, who have that issue of being oppressed um, outside of themselves, it's because in some way, in some karmic connection, in some spiritual contract, they agreed to it so they can r- remove themselves from that oppression only to go and find new oppression. So I think that we're always doing it to ourselves. It, it, exactly. Now, let me really set the stage for you here because this is where you're going to get blown away. So, of course, when you look at the story in regards to Exodus, because of the fact that you know most people remember the Ten Commandments, they don't actually you know remember the story in Exodus. Basically, what you had, Jackie, is a group of people that were now living in an area. Let's call it Detroit, Michigan, uh-huh. rather than Egypt. They're living in Detroit, Michigan. They have their day-to-day jobs. Okay, they're making about a hundred to one hundred and fifty thousand a year. Everybody, you know, all of these. People, you know, six hundred thousand were making a hundred to two hundred and fifty thousand a year. Their kids were going to private schools. You know, they had their um, uh, a BMW chariot in the front yard. They had their McMansion. Um, uh, they had uh, money to buy food, money to go to the casino when they wanted to. They were able to entertain themselves at the movies. Um, uh, uh, you know, they were able to do pretty much anything that you could want to do. So the question then becomes, why is the word slave being used? Okay. You know, these were not people that were necessarily in a bad condition via our standards, Jackie. So Um, what you're saying is that if we look historically at that moment, these people were being paid. They had the right to choose um, their spouses. It wasn't like the slavery that we were taught about in Bible class, or the slave, the black slavery no. um, that we we're talk, taught about in America, or sex slavery, or you know the slavery that's happening in happening. So this is more like an indentured, indentured. Not even that, really, um, uh, because I mean the best description, Jackie, is uh, uh, you know the individual that is living an ordinary, normal life. Now, at the same time they descended to the 49th gate of negativity. Um, What that means is this. Basically, what ended up mattering to them more was not necessarily their spiritual essence or their inner core. What ended up mattering to them more is things. Gotcha. Physical things. Um, uh, You know, that BMW chariot in the front yard, their ability to go to Target every day, um, their ability to go to the grocery store and buy whatever they wanted, really. Um, uh, You know, it wasn't, you know, uh, needing to save up one's uh, pennies to go buy a bag of rice. You know, they pretty much had everything that they wanted. And they all had jobs aplenty, okay? Because let me tell you, those little pyramids were taking a long time to build. <laughs> so, you know, they had jobs for, for, for a long time. Um, uh, so they, but they went down to this 49th gate of negativity. Now, there is a natural, basically what the Zohar states, is that there is a natural point, Jackie, in which we all hit a bottom. And it's the 49th gate, because the 50th gate is no going back. That is when you find that particular individual that no matter what, that they have been participating either in alcoholism or gambling or drug addiction or, you know, some of the darker forms of addiction, and they just can't go back. You know okay, what I mean? Let's, let me ask you a question about sure. the 49th gate, because this is, this is um, newer mysticism to me. Um, so the 49th gate of, descending to the 49th gate of what? The 49th gate of negativity. Negativity. That's what it's called. Yeah. Um, would it have been called, like, hell? Um, no, because they really don't use the term too much in Judaism. Um, okay. The concept of hell is more of a Christian concept. So why are there 50 gates? Look at the numbers, Jackie. Four plus nine, when you yeah. add them together, yeah. is a 13. 13 is the death card. Oh, 13 is death card. But I thought um, that in um, the, in Kabbalah, the number 13 was a number of God, of life, 
The number of 13 is the number of when the soul is connected to the body, okay? Um, uh, but 49 is also this warning system. This is when there usually, in most cases, becomes divine intervention. That's okay. basically the way that you can look at it. When so, There is a natural mechanism within human beings that the moment that you go that low, Jackie, uh-huh. there's something that comes in, some circumstance, we hit a bottom, there's something that... that gets to that particular point in which our souls yearn for some form of change. Cut to Moses is now roaming through the desert. <laughs> well, I want to I kind of make a parallel because, you know, that's my job is to yeah. see, take a look at all this stuff and how does it work in real life. So when you were talking about the Jews in Egypt y- using these terms... The Israelites, yeah. You know, what I re- you know what it reminds me of is somebody who's... Um, funding their way through college by being a bartender, right? Yeah. They're working their way through college by being a bartender, and they're making really good tips, and they're at a hot bar, and they're working their butt off, and it's a no-brainer job. And then they get their degree, and then they go look for a real job and realize they're going to decrease their income by at least half mm-hmm. um, for that entry-level job. They, there's no way that – and whether it's bartending, waitressing, working in the strip club, whatever it is, that there's that moment where you say, oh, <laughs> do I stay here? I know plenty of people with a, uh, a poli-sci degree or, um, uh, you know, something that, or history degree that they just can't, they don't go anywhere with it. Mm-hmm. Um, they stay in the bartending world. Yeah, it, 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 it is very, very similar. I mean, there are points in which many of us settle for the 49th gate of negativity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of, and, and I would even venture to say, Jackie, that probably, um, Karen Berg says that probably 2% of uh, humanity at the moment is innately spiritual. That means that there's 98% that's not. I would have to agree with you, but... but Well, agree with her, because I'm on the fence. Well, you know what? <laughs> I, I, I have to agree with, I mean, like, innately spiritual, 98%. Of varying degrees of spirituality. Yes, yes. It, you know, you know it, it's McDonald's spirituality. Um, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, highly caloric, no substance um, uh, to it in many ways. Um, so, basically, you now have Moses, who's now in the desert uh-huh. at eighty-something years of age. He's roaming through the desert. And, you know, and of course, it, the Ten Commandments, he's about 26. <laughs> really? And, and he's still looking good at this point. <laughs> really? Because in the Ten Commandments, he looks like an old dude. And later he does. <laughs> it progresses, Jackie. <laughs> um, uh, you know, really, you don't see him really, really super old until he gets to Mount Sinai. But uh, that's at a holiday, what we call Shavuot, not Passover. Um, so basically, God then tells Moses, you need to go back into the, you need to go back in there and lead your um uh your people to the promised land. Um, so Moses goes back in and you know, he uh wrestles up the troops basically to make the story story a little bit shorter. Mm-hmm. Um and they go and they confront Pharaoh. And um Pharaoh says, No, I'm not letting go, you know, the ego is not letting go. You have medical oh, right. That's, isn't that that personal saboteur? Yeah, it, it, yeah. Or, you know, it's when you go and you're trying to do an intervention on somebody, Jackie, and they're like, No, you're crazy, you know. Right. <laughs> um, you know, go away, I don't want to hear this, leave me alone, let me sit here in my you know, and, and have fun with myself. Um, and just go. Um so Moses goes to him and says, you know, release the people, Pharaoh refuses to do it. Basically, what ends up happening is that Moses puts ten curses on the Pharaoh. And basically, these ten curses, which we've done a whole show on, um, uh, refer to each of the ten Sephirot. And where the Passover one comes from is the one that's on the Keter level. Now, remember, if you can change the seed of Keter, Jackie, Keter is the seed... Um, if you can change that particular seed and flip that switch, you can pretty much control manifestation. So basically, the curse of the, the tenth curse is the firstborn Egyptian child in every household. And which is a, which is a, a representation of that seed. Yes. Um, and 
what you have also is that God tells the Israelites, and I will make a mention here in just a second, he tells the Israelites to slaughter a lamb and to mark um, their own houses so that the Spirit of God could pass over and he would only inflict the Egyptians. Um, now here is my, and this is where I start to question things when I'm reading the Bible. Okay. Why does the Spirit of God, in all his omnipotence, need to know which house is, um, uh, uh, you know, not the Israelites. I mean, even Santa Claus knows who's naughty or nice. Um, uh, you know, so that kind of, it, it kind of baffles me. And I went and I thought about it um, for a long time and pulled out a lot of books and um, did a lot of research on it. And basically, Jackie, what the whole connection really is in regards to slaughtering the lamb and putting in and marking the house is where you begin to create that co-connection with the light force of God, okay? You begin to start that process of connecting to the light. Um, uh, because God would know, you know, he'd just pass on over and, you know, slap this person's head off. Um, uh, you know, but this helps to create that relationship. And my feeling here is, is that slavery, okay, it is when we begin to start that co-creation with right. the light. Well, that, that it, is where the, the slavery begins to become removed. Well, I think we move from that that whole you know marking your house saying okay i'm i'm agreeing to this new i'm agreeing to to working hard here yeah. when you marked your house so it's like the difference between why doesn't god just make my life better yeah and um okay all right what do i need to do to work with to work within my destiny to work within the light to work within um um this this spiritual evolution that i'm in to make my life better it's, it's basically it's saying okay I give up on the fantasy of the magic pill. Uh, it, it, exactly, and it is when you start to to become a co-creator. And here's the interesting thing, and it's what I wrote about that will be posted um, with the show being posted. Is you had mentioned a couple of weeks ago on Facebook, you asked what is a miracle, mm-hmm. and I will tell you it has plagued me ever since. Really good. Yeah. Good, good. Um, you, you do that to me all the time. Yeah, it has plagued me ever since, okay? And it finally hit me just two days ago, you know, that basically that miracles begin to occur. There is a quote in Isaiah, which is pretty interesting. Now, Isaiah is during the second, it's called the Babylonian exile. Um, and it's when they descended to the 49th gate of negativity again. Um, uh, and do that. In Isaiah, it says, as the days when you left Egypt, so I will make you see miracles. Okay, now, my first response to you was that I felt that miracles were something that occurred on the outside. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think that anymore. Okay. I think that when a miracle happens is that when the inside and the outside come together to co-create, that's when the miracle happens. But isn't that the same thing as magic? That is magic. Okay. Because that was my point um, when I said, what's the difference between a miracle and magic, is I wondered if there is a difference, if magic is all the steps you take to create a miracle in your life. Yeah. The, the difficulty, I think, that in many ways, of course, you know, it is not the focus of this particular show or the, or the focus of uh, uh, um, transformational magic. Right. Maybe that, that's, a, that's a future show, but go ahead. Um, but I do get that there are a lot of people that look at magic in that, oh, I need to get me some money to, you know, to pay my bills or let me draw somebody into my life and um, you, you know, so that I can attract my soulmate to me or let me keep my soulmate or you know, let me make myself financially abundant, um, right. you know, all of these things. Oftentimes, and that's why I asked you the question, do you think at times that when we approach magic from the perspective of our ego or our negative ego, is it actually, in effect, continuing this particular process of slavery? And I think that even magic from that very, very basic level is still a, very, is a form of, uh, of slavery. Oh, I, you know what? That's really, that's really fascinating because what I say when I teach transformational magic and I, what I did just um, towards the end of, um, end of March over in Pennsylvania um, that's the thing I talked about is that you can keep doing these band-aids, creating these band-aids in your life that you will continually have to replace because you never healed the wound. 
Uh, exactly, and and I think that it's the same thing, Jackie. When Mister hundred to one hundred and fifty thousand dollar a year job, you know, once the new car smell fades off of the BMW, what do you have to do? You have to get a new BMW. Um, it's very very similar. It's still where the particular attachment is to things and not to your relation, your spiritual nature, or your relationship with the light of Creator, or your higher good, whatever you want to call it. Okay, um, when it becomes focused on the things and not the feelings. Okay, um, uh, my feeling here is is that that's where it begins to become this large disconnect. Um, and of course, you know, eventually. The, the Israelites um, run out, Jackie, you know, they're running and running, and the, you know, the Pharaoh's chasing them, and, you know, that they get to this particular point, and then a miracle occurs, okay, which is they go into the Red Sea. Once the uh, water gets up to their noses, okay, that's when the Red Sea splits. They go through, they go uh, away, and it falls in onto the Pharaoh, and the negative ego, in essence, you can look at that symbolically and say that it was washed. It was washed away. Interesting. Interestingly enough, though, it takes them 40 years <laughs> <laughs> to walk around the same mountain over and over and over and over and over and over and over um, before they get to the promised land. And here is the thing, Jackie. Even in the wilderness, they still had everything that they wanted. You had something that was called mama. So it fell from the sky. So if that morning you woke up and you wanted yourself a Wendy's cheeseburger with a Frosty and some fries, you would out and got some on it, and it tasted like whatever you wanted it to be. Um, so, and did not have calories. So, um, you know, you could pretty much go out there and do, you know, whatever it is that you wanted, and, it, and you, you know, you were sustained. You had sustenance. Um, and still, Jackie, this is what they were saying in, in the desert. Oh, my God, this is so difficult. I'm sick of eating this mana. You know, I get up at night, and I want to you know, a porterhouse steak, and I get me some money, it tastes like a porter. I'm just bored with the whole thing. I want to go back to Egypt. Which is what we do when, something that we talked about, that bread of shame when things are given mm-hmm. to us. Yeah, it, 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 it's very, very systematic in regards to when you look at this. And the Bible is very, very good at telling the same story over and over and over and over and over in another epic story. Um, so... In regards to the issue with slavery and in Passover, there are a couple of things that, um, uh, without having to get into the overwhelming, boring mysticism of it all, which will put people to sleep, um, during Passover, there is something that is, the reason, the reason being is because when they were told to leave Egypt, the bakers were still in their baking jackie and they had to leave. Um, so the issue in regards to bread is from that perspective. But here is also the issue in regards to bread. It is the most addictive substance on the planet. Um, sugar is the most addictive. The reaction in regards to sugar is higher than heroin. Right. Um, so it is the most addictive substance. So because in Kabbalah, we tend to work with things in a symbolic sort of way. What happens is that during the eight days of Passover, where's the little button for the Passover challenge, <laughs> um, uh, is that we refrain from um, refined sugar and bread and things of that, that, that along those lines. So, um, so in doing that, we what are... you're doing is creating the particular force field, or you, you, what goes in front of Jackie, the um, uh, the Israelites through the desert, is a pillar of fire that's protecting them. Um, and basically what you are doing is creating a gigantic protection spell so that over the period of the next year that you have the, period, the pillar of fire in front of you guiding you in your actions um, and, and, and helping you deal with this thing that we call life. Um, so it's a gigantic, when you think about it, the refraining from that particular sh- sugar and that bread is the beginning process of not only the, the, re- the refraining from it is symbolic of you breaking your own addiction whatever they may be, because not everybody has a sugar addiction. Um, But because it is the most addictive substance, we use that one because it's easier. So as you refrain from that, you're also removing yourself symbolically from your other addictions, which help you be able to deal with them later. And we know they're going to happen because the Israelites are screaming in the village, you know. Um, But the pillar helps to keep you guiding you you, um, down your path, basically. So... This is, um, you know, I've been working on on this challenge myself. 
Mm-hmm. Um, not to, I'm not totally sugar free at this point, but I'm I've been spending um, since like right, right around April second, um, just identifying all the hidden sugars and hidden breads in my life, and uh, and then kind of clearing them out of the house uh, to do this Passover challenge. Mm-hmm. And it's been very interesting to me all of the different things that come up during this process. Mm-hmm. Um, my fears absolutely come up. So, you know, food has been one of my issues for my entire life, so this is fascinating to me because I don't want to be a slave to dieting and I don't want to be a slave to food. Yeah. I'm I'm one or the other, to be honest with you. And that is a good that is a good spot for you to be. Because I think that oftentimes people that are compulsive dieters or um, are uh, you know, so focused on that and they have a diet every six months and, mm-hmm. you know, they're trying something new, you know, and they've paid a couple million dollars of uh, money that, you know, they could have their McMansion with to the diet industry. Um, <laughs> uh, you, you know, the issue here is, Jackie, is I think that oftentimes that is just as much a part of participating in the addiction as the actual food addiction. Well, right, and and so that is a big challenge because yeah. how do you get out of the addiction without flipping the switch, going going 180 degrees different? And, and that's what we have found works. We have to stay away from it when it's when it's totally addictive. But then how do you? I mean, like like I'm thinking an alcoholic who's in a 12 step program or deciding mm-hmm. they, they're not going to drink for the rest of their lives because it triggers them. You know, it's is that um, is that a different kind of addiction on the um, flip side, or is it just that um, they're just choosing not to drink? I think that with people in the 12-step programs that are diligent and they follow it, the reason why it works, Jackie, is because the 12-step program makes you create the relationship with the light. Yes, it does, absolutely. Um, you know, the first step is admitting you're powerless. Mm-hmm. You don't give your care away until you, you you know you don't turn your will over to the Creator until the third step. Um, uh, so the steps on their own have their own process. Magic on its own has its own process. Kabbalah has it, its own process. Strangely enough, Christianity has its own process. Um, even though I'm not real okay. fond with some of their methods. But um, uh, but they still have their own particular process. Um, Where this where this matters to me, and the reason why I'm akinly connected with this one, um, is because of the fact that basically what it does is that it teaches Jackie that the process that we go through in regards to releasing our addictions, and at the same time as we begin to strengthen our connection to the light of the Creator, we begin to um, become driven by our spiritual nature and not our physical body nature. We are not controlled by the 1% level. And I think that that is the difference with any of them. Because I know many people that are in 12-step programs or at Weight Watchers or, uh, you know, Gamblers Anonymous or um, uh, uh, whatever their particular addiction may be. Um, uh, And... When I look at them, Jackie, they're still addicted to the particular substance um, because that's all that they can focus on and all they can talk about. And I'm sure that over time, transformation takes place. Okay, here's the thing for me. I really don't like time too much, so the fastest I can get to it, the better. (laughs) (laughs) And if I can do it in eight days, I'm doing it in eight days. (laughs) So you have have a lot more information for us about how to kind of – yeah. Grab on to what you what your negative love or your negative fear yeah. could be. So, yeah. so and if then you get that at my website or facebook.com forward slash astrogossip. Um, you know, there's an article on there called um, the Astrological Guide to Overcoming Your Fears and Addictions Once and for All, which gives them a little bit more um, uh, information. Plus, I have another article that's coming out next week on the same subject. So. Oh, cool. That's good. Um, so, so this. Tell us more about this whole process of how, um, why does this work? I mean, I know we're in a magical time of Passover um, to refrain from bread and sugar um, helps 
whatever it is your slavery is about, it helps you clear that. How, why? Um, it's simpler than you think. Okay. The reason why it works is because of the fact that we're beginning a particular process of reattaching ourselves to the light. That's why it works. Um, uh, you know, we're making a choice symbolically, even if we're not dealing with our um, toenail cutting addiction. Um, uh, you know, as we begin to focus symbolically on this other thing, basically what we're doing through that, that action, Jackie, is making that connection to the particular light, okay? We're saying, in essence, we understand that in many ways that we're constantly in a state of slavery. So because of the fact that we're dealing with the issue on its own, it begins to happen. It's very, very similar, Jackie, when somebody um, – I have many people that come to me in regards to, uh, you know, helping them create an REM cell. Um, uh, and they will often tell me, Jackie, just in the process, oh, you know, I lit the uncrossing candle, and that's just my removal side. <laughs> I lit the uncrossing candle, and I already feel 100% better, and, you know, things are starting to turn around for me, and they're telling me this the next day, okay? They haven't even got to the other two steps. Um, so I think that there is, when we make the particular choice, Jackie, to do something about our condition, I think something kicks in. Yeah, when we start taking some action, it you know it kicks in the first couple of days, um, and, and you feel great. Yes. Um, about the first three days, day four, day five, you're like, oh man, I'm still doing this. <laughs> after um, after a certain amount of time, you're like, oh, this is still a reality. Yes. I don't know if I. Well, because I think that what number one, what is going to begin to come in is the sitan. Mm-hmm. Um, and number two, what is going to come in is the fundamental effects of how much we needed whatever it is that we have been slaves to. Yes. And oftentimes the underlevel um, uh, layers, which sometimes you know, people can deal with and sometimes they cannot. But the entire process, Jackie, of the eight days and refraining from, for lack of a better term, bread, right. Um you can have matzo. Um, uh, it doesn't have any yeast in it. Um, uh, but um, that process, Jackie, creates that flame, okay? And in flame, which you know from lighting the candle, is the drawing down of the light into your life through the wick. Now, my plan, I don't know if I told you my plan of what I'm going to have lit for no. myself during this process, is is literally an uncrossing candle and a spiritual cleansing candle. Mm-hmm. Just just those two. I agree. Um kind of aligning with um the two things that I'm I'm refraining from, but stuff comes up. Stuff will come up and what the, what I see the candles do, how I see them work for me is that as they come up, I can I can release them out of my aura. The the interesting thing also is that what you have with Passover begins a process which is also called counting of the Omer. Now, the counting of the Omer is 40 days, which is how long it took um, the Israelis, the Israelites, to get to Mount Sinai. Um, uh, and remember, the trip to Israel should have only taken them six, and it, this whole process was 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, during that particular 40 days, okay is when the issues in regards to your negative love and your negative fears will be more prominent than any time of the year. And when is when is the counting of the Omer? Uh, the day after Passover, so the 15th. So the 15th. Through Shavuot, which I will get the date for that. So that would be like um, end of May. I am giving you the exact day for it right now. It is June the 3rd. Oh, June the 3rd. Okay. Um, so from the 15th to, to June the 3rd mm-hmm. is basically a 40-day process in regards to these issues coming up to the surface over and over and over. They're going to become quite obvious during that process. So it is not – so you can even approach a Jackie in a completely blinded sort of way. 
You don't know what negative fear or negative love you should be working on, okay? You don't know. You know, you're quite happy with your McMansion and your BMW and your job, you know, at um, ExxonMobil. Um, and, uh, you, you know, you're doing well and your kids are happy and they're in private school and you're able to uh, get somebody to schlep them on over to their uh, band camp practice and uh, their uh, football games and all this other stuff, okay? Uh-huh. You don't know what it is, but you participate in this. Okay, for the eighth day, for the eight days, what will happen then during the counting of the Omer, Jackie, is the issues that you need to work on right now are the ones that will rise to the surface. Yes, because it might be a different addiction that you're working on each year. For example, you're thinking food right now, okay? What may happen during the counting of the Omer may be another issue altogether, which in essence, Jackie, may be what is creating the addiction to food. Right. Now, what's interesting is I have recently been um, working, uh, doing yoga. I started doing yoga, you know, not addictively, but just um, two to three days a week. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, I'm really enjoying it. It's hard. I sweat. It is not easy. I'm in pain the next day. And it's awkward, yeah. And it's awkward and you fart and the whole thing. But um, because you're twisting, this is what happens. But one of the yoga instructors, at the end of it, she always leaves 10 minutes at the end to do a meditation because you've just done so much releasing. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You're releasing all kinds. I can just feel the release happening when I'm doing different twists and... um, it just happens. And what she does is she has you bring to mind um, the thing that you want to change, the thing that's the addiction, um, the thing that sabotages you. Mm-hmm. To bring it up and to release it as because you're finishing your releasing process by being in Shavasana, which is the, the corpse pose, just yeah. laying, laying with your feet open and your, and your hands up, up, face, facing upward in a surrender position. So... She goes to this whole meditation, which came from um, this one doctor, metaphysician, who's on the What's the Bleep Do You Know? I can't remember his name. And then um, she says, as these things come up in your life, as you feel the sabotage come up, just see yourself, see the sabotage coming up, and then see yourself saying stop. Mm -hmm. Just say stop, and then see yourself making a new decision. Um, And that's the meditation she has us go through. And and I just, sometimes I just drift, sometimes I really think about it. Um, But I've been doing that. Uh I've been doing that. So I take, I've been reinforcing that whole thing by taking myself into some deep breathing, into a relaxed pose. Not not during yoga, but as my own time. And then visualizing some of these things and then saying stop. And so it's like that practice. Um, And I've been doing that. I've been saying stop. Just... Just like quietly, like I'll obsess. I need, I I need to go. I need a snack. I need. <laughs> yeah. Or the biggest thing is failure. Um, I'm stressing about this, that, or the other thing in failure, and I, and um, I'll start really, just anxiety-ridden, adrenaline rushing around failure, and then I, and I just go stop. And what what I'm finding that does because I you know I work with the clip outs after as soon as you told me about those I could see them <laughs> I understood I understood that that negative shell that um, it's almost like they're they're little umbrellas between you and the divine and the divine can't get through it it's like rain couldn't get through an um, umbrella that works correctly and and so when I say stop the the clip outs start to shrink yeah and um it's just a very interesting tool is if you you know one of the things we we talked about in other shows is that um making that a vow or promise mm-hmm. and that um and i was confused because isn't that kind of like setting a goal or you make your resolution or you make your vision board or whatever mm-hmm. here's the difference is that when you make it this vow or promise, you assume it's all going to continue to work in that way. When, yeah. when you do some, I'm using air quotes that you can't see, goal setting, um, or um, like, okay, here's what I would like to see happen, and then you have an action that you can take, small, tiny action, I'm finding that what that's doing is that just being able to go stop is starting to break my vows. 
Mm-hmm. Is, well, not break my vows, dis, dis, um, disintegrate some of those that I didn't realize how many I had. And you see, the interesting thing in regards to um, fear of failure, okay, um, is that the natural, you have your Saturn and Aries, okay? So your natural-based negative fear is the fear of being overpowered by the will of others, okay? And if you look at failure via its own nature, mm-hmm. um, why does somebody fear failure because they're afraid of being overpowered. Um, uh, you know, then somebody may have some form of dominion over you if you can't do it. And and can I can I give you a little sure. insight onto that? Sure. That whole how that whole feel fear of being overpowered by another can come to play. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the boss. I'm the boss in everything. <laughs> I kind of set myself up that way. I wonder why. And um, what I discovered over these past two weeks is that fear of being overpowered by someone else comes into play in my life in um, the someone not following through on their job, like being sabotaged by um, by someone's will to just not care, uh-huh. hiring the wrong person. That, I, I don't know if I'm really expressing that correctly. Like, like I have, let's say I have a team of salespeople which I don't at this time, but let's say I had a team of salespeople out there uh-huh. and I train them and I do all these things and I do all the right things and I, we make sure that we're all on a good good system, we have weekly meetings, we're all encouraged. The failure, the, the, the fear of failure, that fear of somebody's will overpowering mine is that salesperson's will not being engaged to do a good job uh-huh. and, and it's being afraid of, of putting too much of my... Um, Eggs, eggs for my basket, or too much of my success, or too much of my potential, in in someone else's ideal, and it might not match mine, and I didn't see it. So isn't that kind of an interesting their will overrunning mine? It's, a, it's it like is. a flip of the switch. It's it's rather than feeling oppressed by my boss, it's feeling um, disappointed by my staff. I have a uh, a client of mine, Jackie, that also has Saturn in Aries, and um, she owns a product company, um, like you do, interestingly enough. She's the boss. Um, And she has one salesperson that pretty much, she said, does at least 50% of her sales altogether. Mm -hmm. You know, this person can sell ice cubes to an Eskimo, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And she told me, you know, she was asking about the relationship with them and things of that nature. The interesting thing in this particular reading is that what it showed me is he was just going about his day-to-day job. He wasn't thinking about anything else. It was about making money for him. You know, he wanted the, the, the BMW chariot. You know, pretty much that's where his approach was. He wasn't interested in agitating her in any sort of way. But from her particular perspective, and when I was looking at the horary chart that I ran from, from her perspective, she was extremely agitated by him. Uh, and when it came down to it, Jackie, basically what the problem was is that he was so much of her particular sales, you know, so much of her sales, that she was fearful of many things, including what happens if she loses him. What if he finds somewhere else to go? What if, it, you know, uh, and it was controlling and consuming her. Right, and that's that fear of someone else's will overriding yeah. yeah. all of your hard work. So uh, that was just an interesting um, aside that I thought, because um, when I was reading this, I go, my, my, what is this fear of being controlled, or overpowered by the will of others? That doesn't make sense <laughs> until I drew my second breath. <laughs> but, oh, <laughs> oh, that's why I'm a boss everywhere. Oh. Yeah. I know that was kind of a lame old one, wasn't it? <laughs> so that is Passover. Um, I hope everybody, um, uh, you know, takes up the eight-day challenge. Um, it's only eight days. Anybody can do anything for eight days, I think. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, just uh, abstain from refined sugar and bread, and you'll do fine and help to create um, uh, uh, your connection to the divine over the period of the next year. Well, I I, I just have to give you um, uh, kudos on your astrological guide to overcoming fear and addiction once and for Thank all. Thank you. Um, I read through it a couple of times before the show, and 
I really, I mean, this is what our third time doing a show on Passover from mm-hmm. different angles of yeah. that, um, and I love how interesting it all is every time. But I, I, it was in reading that I just saw how this happens on a daily basis. Yeah. How we find that antagonist, how we find that thing that's going to take us down. Well, now I know something new: the forty-ninth gate of negativity. And boy, yeah. that that gate's real pretty, isn't it? <laughs> it's like a fold on it and and some nice. Here's carving. the thing, Jackie. When you hire somebody to work for you, and they're in Aries, and they want to be in control no matter what, and you're in your office seizing and biting your fingernails off and chewing a Snickers bar, okay? Uh huh. At that moment, say, I am now in the forty ninth gate of negativity. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly, and, and, and I'll go, stop, and pull myself out of it. But we thank everyone for uh, listening to our show today. Um, it has been an eye-opener, and I got a lot out of it. I hope everybody else got a lot out of it, too. And and really, no one's perfect. You don't have to do any of this stuff. Sometimes it's just food for thought yes. as you're as you're going through your life. And um, this is the first – I've known Storm for, what, five-plus years now? Yes. We've talked about this for a long time, and this is the first time I'm, I'm actually attempting anything. It took me many years to even get ready to do this. But again, just food for thought, thinking about um, how these things affect you in your life, and and I wish you all the magic in the world. Um, if you want to get a hold of Storm Sestavani, you can reach him at stormsestavani.com. If you want to get a hold of me, and I have readings, I do readings on Wednesdays, so if you want to, uh, and I'm booked probably about two to three weeks in advance, so if you want to get a reading from me, Akashic Record Session, you can find me at CoventryCreations.com and book a reading through there. Um, and just remember, this show is sponsored by CoventryCreations.com, and we have a candle for that. No matter what your issue, what your fear, what your need, whether it's money, love, protection, or getting rid of some sugar habits, We have a candle for that. So I want you all to have an amazing week, two weeks, amazing Passover, actually. Mm -hmm. And I want you to keep it magic. And what else do you want want them to do, Storm? Speak life, everybody. feels perfect other days it just ain't working the good the bad the right the wrong and everything in between yo it's crazy amazing we can turn our hearts through the words we say mountains crumble with every syllable hope can live or die so speak
feels perfect. perfect. 